Thank you, preacher. Good to be here this afternoon. Thank you for being here in the service. And uh, I'm glad the preacher didn't tell you who was preaching so you would come back. Amen. I tell people sometimes if you come and hear me preach once, it might be by mistake. But if you come back the second time, you have nobody to blame but yourself. You knew what you're getting into. So thank you for being here this afternoon. Enjoyed that good singing. I want you to look with me in the book of Luke for a few moments is where we'll begin. Luke chapter number 15. I want to read a couple of verses here. Preach to you for just a little while this afternoon. I don't know how long, but just a few moments. And I want to thank the pastor for the good place I have to stay for the food I've been enjoying. Thank you for the fellowship that we've been enjoying here. I'm glad my family's with me. They're not here in the daytime services. They've got some things they're doing. They'll be here tonight, the Lord willing. Luke chapter number 15, probably the two most famous passages of scripture in our Bible known by whether you, whether you lost, whether you saved in church or out of church, Luke 15 and Psalm 23. About everybody's heard Psalm 23. They've heard it quoted and read and talked about. And then Luke 15, the prodigal. People are always talking about it. And here the Bible tells us about him, and we'll, we'll get to him here. But let's read just a little bit. The Bible said in verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. We've already heard about that today. And everything that's going to be said... Uh, from this point on is a response to what the Pharisees have said in verse number two, that this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. It was an accusation. They didn't understand the love and forgiveness of God. And so Jesus is going to address that. And then he'll give them in verses three, four, five, six, and seven, the parable of the lost sheep. Talk about the rejoicing when that sheep is found. Then in verses eight, nine, and 10, the parable of the lost silver this coin and the woman finds it and there's rejoicing and every time he's emphasizing how much God loves to see a sinner come home and then he gets to the son now let's read a little bit verse 11 and he said a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falleth to me and he divided unto them his living not many days after the younger son gathered all together took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now here's where we get the word prodigal. I always wondered what the word prodigal means. It means somebody that is a waster. It means somebody that is not frugal, that is not careful, but just throws things away that are important. This young man wasted his substance with riotous living. Let me say something to you young people that are here in the service. This young man said to his father, I want what you have, but I don't want you. I want your possessions, but I don't want your person. Pretty sorry thing for a boy to say to his father. All these things his father has laid up for him over all these years wanting to help this young man, wanting to give. I hear parents say this, I want my children to have a better start than I had. That's what's going on here. I thought about my brother-in-law. He spent some time gathering some things up and I came home one day or came to his house. He had a big old, uh, a big old bulldozer out there in the yard and I thought, what in the world? I said, Dave, what do you 
you do with that bulldozer? He said, well, that's for Davy, my boy. He said, I'm getting him started in the excavating business. And so he was gathering up equipment for him. That's what this father's doing. He's gathering up for this boy. And this boy takes what the father has gathered up for him and said, I want what you have, but I don't want you. If you were to come, when I pastored, I'm going to preach in a minute. I'm just testifying first. Uh, when I pastored, I had in my, in my home, I had a little gun cabinet. And in that gun cabinet, there was a Remington 870 Wingmaster 12 gauge. There was a Winchester Model 64 lever action. And there was an old J.C. Higgins 22 semi-automatic rifle. All of my, my dad had one. All my brothers had one. And my dad kept his weapons in immaculate condition. They didn't look like they'd ever been out of the gun case. And so when my dad went to be with the Lord, I inherited, those, among some other things, I inherited those uh, three rifles, shotgun and two rifles. And somebody came over one day and they were looking at those and they said, man, those are in good shape. I said, they really are. And my dad took good care of them. And then he made this statement. He said, I bet you're glad to have those. I said, you're right. I'm glad to have them. But I'd much rather have dad than have what he had. It's a sorry thing to want what your parents have but not want your parents. This boy is a pretty sorry fella. He's about as low down as you can get. And so he takes this and goes into a far country and he wastes it all away. The Bible said on riotous living. I'm glad that's not the end of the story. And when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. You know what? He ends up where every prodigal ends up. He ends up where every runaway ends up. He ends up in want. He ends up where every life of sin will land you in want. And so he said this, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain and fill his belly with the hus that the swine did eat. Watch this now. And no man gave unto him that crowd that'll tell you, you don't need your parents God. You don't need to live for God. You don't need what mom and daddy had. I tell you, the moment you don't have anything to give them, they'll drop you like a hot potato. They'll leave you and you'll be all by yourself wondering what in the world happened. Then verse 17, I like this verse. I like the way it starts. It said, and when he came to himself, Boy, that's a good thought right there. Did you ever go? I don't know if you use this kind of language down here, but when I was growing up, if you went down to Walmart and you ran into somebody that you recognized and you'd go home and you'd say to your wife, guess who I came upon in the Walmart? And what you're saying was, I saw somebody and recognized them for who they were. Well, when the Bible said he came to himself, it means all of a sudden he recognized himself for what he was and what he'd done and where he was. And nobody ever gets right with God until they recognize who they are and what they've done and where they are. And when he recognized that, the Bible said, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and despair and I perish with hunger. I like this here. I will arise. My old friend Bob Carrico said when he came to himself he dropped the pail, jumped the rail and hit the trail. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, I don't, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm barely a Greek student, but I have a Strong's concordance. And I looked up this word kiss and Mr. Strong said, it is in the perfect tense. It means it is a continuous action. It wasn't this. It was this. 
It's like when your aunt came over for Christmas and grabbed you by the chin and said, I'm going to kiss your whole face. That's what's going on here. And the fathers are kissing this boy. And the son, I'm not to the message yet. You pray for me. I'm trying to get there. I see this boy pushing him away saying, Daddy, Daddy, will you stop kissing me? Daddy, I got something to tell you. Daddy, will you leave off the kissing? But Daddy's, Daddy's so glad that boy has come home. And so he said, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son but the father hallelujah but the father said to his servants bring forth the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this hey does this bring back any memories to you hallelujah you remember you lost out in sin on your way to hell and you came to yourself and your father Father welcomed you with open arms and brought you home. Put a ring on your finger and shoes on your feet and a robe. Hallelujah. What a father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, he's a good God. He's a sweet Lord. story of this prodigal there's something missing so preacher what's missing well we have a prodigal son who's got out of the will of God but what's missing in this passage and we also have another brother whose attitude is not right he represents the Pharisees but I want you to listen to me what's missing is there's not one word said about a failure in the father there's not one word said or mentioned that the father did something or didn't do something that caused this boy to become a prodigal here's what I want to preach to you about for a moment or two I want to preach to you about the first prodigal and I want to tell you a story to begin with and then we're going to look at some more scripture I want to tell you a story about a father. And it is a true story. And here was a father and he had a son. And he loved that boy. Loved him with all of his heart. And he was good to that boy. And then sometime later a daughter came along. And now he's got a son and he's got a daughter. He treats them right. He treats them with kindness. He doesn't abuse them. He doesn't verbally attack them. He doesn't chain them in a basement somewhere. He doesn't leave them unfed. He doesn't tell them that he doesn't care about them and has no interest in them. Exactly the opposite is true. He encourages them. He shows them great love. He provides them with everything that is at his disposal 
Everything that is available to him, he makes available to them. You can see them sometimes, perhaps, you can see them walking and talking, fellowshipping one with another. The father would bring things to the boy and show them to the boy and say, what, what should we do with this? What, 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 what do you think about this? He's helping that boy grow. He does not ever act hatefully toward them. He taught them, this boy and this girl, he taught them what was right and what was wrong. He brought them up it to worship. He worshiped as it were with them. He was involved with them. He spent time with them. You know, can I say this to parents? Somebody said, preacher, I don't have time to spend with my children. Well, make time, but think about this. It is not so much how much time you spend with your children as it is that your children know that you are interested in what's going on in their life. That what is important to them means something to you. And you see the importance of it. And I see this father treating these, this boy and this girl that way. He gave them choice to do because it's good for children to learn responsibility. He gave the boy some chores and no doubt he gave the girl some chores. You know, when I was growing up, my, my daddy would have me to take out the garbage. He could have taken out the garbage. He had time to do it. He knew how to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, imperative that I did it, but he wanted me to do it because he wanted, to learn, uh, wanted me to learn how to have responsibility and that there were things in life that you had to do whether you wanted to do them or not. It was just part of living. And this father would do that with these children and so he's bringing them up and he's loving for them and he's caring them and he holds back nothing that, that is good for them but you know what happened one day, uh, one day these children they fell into bad company and when they fell into bad company they started hearing things uh, that they had not heard from their father they started hearing things that they had not considered and this, this bad company began to tell them oh your father you don't, he don't know what you're ta he's talking about and he's just trying to hold you back from enjoying life and so here's what they did they tasted sin and when they tasted sin a separation came between them and their father you say preacher is that a true story it's a true story the father's name is Jehovah God and the son's name is Adam and the daughter's name is Eve and here is God who taught them and gave them life and brought them up and treated them well but in spite of all of that they chose to run away. They chose to become prodigals. I want to talk to you about these are the first prodigals. I want to say three things to you and I want to preach by way of encouragement this afternoon because everywhere I go, I find parents who have prodigals. Everywhere I go, I talk with people who have wayward children and sometimes they're discouraged Sometimes they're so discouraged about it, they don't feel like they can go on any further. I want us to think about a father who had prodigals. God, the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, in that environment in which they lived, chose to run away, chose to turn their back on the father that loved them. I want you to think, first of all, of the provisions they enjoyed. First of all, there's the breath of God. 
The Bible said that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Oh, there's such power in that breath of God. If you read over in the book of Exodus, you'll find out in Exodus chapter 15, in chapter 14, God parts the water of the Red Sea. Did you ever wonder how he went about that? In Exodus 15, when they're singing the song, they explain how he did it. It was by the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He just exhaled and the water split and they walked through on dry ground. What power there is in the breath of God. And God took that dirt and breathed into that dirt the breath of life and man became a living soul. I remember reading Vance Habner one time and he was preaching on the breath of God and he said the problem with most of us is we're out of breath. We're trying to do everything in our own strength and we've lost the breath of God. Don't you like it when God breathes through? Don't you like it when God's breath is on something? And so God breathed into them the breath of life. They are given life as a gift from God. Not only did they have the breath of God, they are given life. They have the bounty of the garden. They are given the opportunity to enjoy life. If you go back with me to Genesis chapter number 2, the Lord will tell us about this in, our, in the passage in Genesis chapter number 2. After he makes man, the Bible said in verse 8, Genesis 2, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I'm trying to wrap my head around that, that every tree that that's pleasant to the sight and good for food is in that garden. That must have been quite a garden. I've seen some lovely trees in my day and I've tasted some sweet fruit in my day and the Bible said they were there in the garden. And then he said the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse 16 the Bible said the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Uh, one day they said we're going to have oranges. One day they said we're going eat apples. One day they said we're going to have mangoes. One day they said this and one day they said that. I don't know. Maybe one day they said we're going to drink coconut juice. I don't know. But whatever they wanted, God provided it for them. They had all those beautiful trees in the garden. What a good God to make that for the man. He didn't make the garden till after he made the man. Man wasn't made for the garden. The garden was made for the man. He did that all because he loved Adam. So he made the garden. And he gave them the opportunity to enjoy life. I remember when I was a boy, my mom and dad loved to go camping. I used to like it when I was a boy. I don't like it much anymore because I don't care nothing about sleeping on the ground. But uh, I remember going camping with my mom and dad. I remember them taking us out. I remember going to Rose Lake. I'll tell you the story. I remember one time we were in the upper peninsula of Michigan and my dad said, let's get in the old, had the old station wagon. He said, let's get in the station wagon. Uh, we're going down the road. We're going to a little town up here called Paradise. And so we got in that car. There was my mom and my dad. There was my oldest brother, Steve, my next brother, Dave, me and my little brother, Jeff. And there was my aunt Bonnie and, uh, and uh, her husband. I'm trying I think his name and I'm having a brain lock 
and we got in that car and we headed down, headed down that trail and it started out to be a regular road and then it turned into a gravel road and then it turned into a two track and then it turned into a trail through the woods and we had three, three or four flat tires along the way and finally we just turned back and the joke in our house was we started out but we never did get to paradise. But I think about all the good times we had enjoying as a family and I'm thinking about what God did with them in that garden, how he blessed them and the times they must have had. And then there was the business of dressing and keeping. Now it says this in our text, it said he put man in the garden, verse 15. Uh, this verse is an interesting verse. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And I'm thinking to myself, what is there to dress? What is there to keep? There are no weeds. There are no insects to eat a tree and make it die. He doesn't have to do any cultivating. What's he supposed to do? But see, God's trying to teach him about responsibility. Teach him that life's filled with responsibility. So he brings the animals to Adam and said, won't you name them? He's teaching Adam about responsibility. He's teaching Adam to go out there and watch those trees, see how things grow, see what's involved in all that because he wants Adam to grow. He wants him He wants him to be the man that God wants him to be. All of these things are things, provision that they enjoyed. I, the other day I was in a meeting. I was thinking about young people growing and I was in a meeting and this young fella came up to me and he said, Brother McBride, do you need a guitar? Well, I'm going to tell you the last thing in the world I need is another guitar. He said, I've got two guitars. Do you need a guitar? And I said, well, you don't want them? He said, well, I was going to learn to play, but he said, I don't have time. Uh, I said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm a welder. He said, I've learned to weld, and I'm an accomplished welder. And he said, now I'm working on my electrician's license. I'm going to be a licensed electrician. He said, I got an old, I can't remember, it's a Ford or a Dodge pickup out in the back. I'm rebuilding the motor on it. I'm going to restore that. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 16 years old. I thought to myself, you don't have time for a guitar. You got plenty of things to go, but here's what he's doing. He was growing. He's becoming somebody. He's learning responsibility. Hey, I'm not preaching on this, but you young people, learn some responsibility. Learn that life is not just about everybody giving you something and handing you something. Learn to work. Get your job. You don't have to pay a whole lot. Just get your job and learn how to be on time and to have a budget and pay your bills. Learn what life is about. That's not in the message, but I threw it in. They enjoyed these provisions. But in the midst of this, there was a prohibition, a prohibition that they were given. What was it? Chapter 2 of Genesis. And the Lord God said in verse 16, he commanded, saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Ruth left that word out when she quoted him. She left out the word freely. Worldly religion always leaves that word out. But the very, can I put this in here? The very first word God ever said about eternal life and the very last word God ever said about eternal life in Revelation was, it's free. He wants you to know it's free. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, watch it now, thou shalt not. Oh yeah, boy, there we go. There we go. There's God. There's religion. There's Christianity. Don't, 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 don't. Did you know there's more do's than don'ts here? There were more trees you could eat of than there were trees you couldn't eat of. There were 
more, if you want to talk about positive and negatives, there were more positives than there were negatives. I heard this old statement, he can't see the forest for the trees. I'll tell you what Eve's problem was. She couldn't see the forest for the tree. She got zeroed in on one thing God said no. One thing said she couldn't have and she forgot about all the goodness of God. Don't let that happen in your life. Don't zero in on the one thing you don't have. Think on those things you do have. Think on the goodness of God. Think what a bountiful God he was. And he is. The prohibition involved one tree. Just one. You go, you, eat, you go eat what this is. You go eat that tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was. Somebody said it was an apple tree. Somebody said it was a vine with grapes on it. I don't know what it was, but it was a fruit tree. You don't know what it was either. We just know it was a tree. God said, don't eat of it. I don't know what it was. I just know that there was everything else they wanted, everything else they could have desired. They could have had whatever. Uh, but here, all Eve can see is there's that one. Just one. There was one tree she couldn't have. There was one tenant. Thou shalt not eat of it. Now she made it harder than it was. Because when she quoted the devil, she said, neither shall you touch it. God never said that. But isn't that what the flesh does? Makes it harder than the way God made it. Add and want to add things to the prohibition. Well, God said I couldn't do this. God never mentioned anything about that. But you're mad about that other thing. And so there was one tenet and there was one truth. Here was the one truth. In the day ye eateth thereof, thou shalt surely die. God said, when you eat of it, you're going to die. And when they ate of it, guess what happened to them? They died. You know what? Death is not annihilation. It's not cessation. It's separation. Now, can I help you with something? I tell you, I put so many things in this sermon, I might never get done. Can I help you with something? What did God say would happen to Adam when he ate of the tree? He'd die. So when he ate of the tree, what happened to Adam? He died, not physically, but spiritually. He died. And that death was separation from God. So you know what we have? We have a man dead in trespasses and sins. He's dead. And God comes walking by and speaks to him. And the man dead in trespasses and sin hears him. And responds to him. And believes his promise. These fatalists and Calvinists will tell you that if you're dead in sin, you're like a man laying in a coffin. And a man laying in a coffin, you can talk to him, but he can't hear you. You can argue with him, but he ain't going to argue back. But wait a minute, Adam's dead in trespasses and sin, but he can hear the voice of God, and he responds to the voice of God, and he even responds in faith because he calls Eve the mother of all living before there were any other living. He responds in faith. Hey, listen to me. Anybody can get saved. God doesn't have to regenerate you before you can believe. If you'll hear the word of God and believe the word of God you can be born again. They were given one provision. There's not a whole list here. There, I read somewhere there were 613 tenants and prohibitions in the Mosaic law. Man, how'd you like to keep track of that? But there was just one here. Just one. Now here's the last thing and here's the point of the message. We've seen the provisions they enjoyed and the prohibition they were given. I want to see the product of their failure. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. Notice what happened when they sinned. 
First of all, the father did not amend his stand. What do you mean? He didn't change what was right and wrong to fit what they'd done. He did not say, okay, my children have gone astray. I'm going to have to lower my standards. I'm going to have to change my convictions. I'm going to have to alter what I believe because my children have gone astray. No, God did not change. Are you listening? He did not change. He didn't say, well, maybe I was wrong about that tree. Maybe I was wrong telling him not to have that. And when our children, if our children get become prodigals, the, temp, the temptation in our life is to say, well, I'm going to have to ease up because I don't want to drive them any further away. God did not ease up. God did not change. God did not amend. God did not. You know, that father, that, pro, that father in Luke chapter 15 never did go down to that hog pen where that boy was. He never did. He never did lower the standard. You say, well, did he care? Oh, yes, he cared. Oh, yes, he cared. Why do you think? he had a ring ready? Why do you think he had shoes ready? Why do you think he had a robe ready? Why do you think he was fattening up the calf? Why do you think the Bible said when he was yet a long way, a great way off? I do a lot of traveling. I've been driving up and down the road for about 40 years and sometime we'll see things if they're close to the road but you don't very often see things by accident that are a great way off. But the Bible said he saw him a great way off. You know what I think? I think every day daddy'd walk out to that lane where that boy went and look down there and say I hope he comes back today I hope he comes back today he did not change his stand he did not change what was right and wrong he didn't go down get in the hog pen with him he stayed by the stuff did you hear what that boy said in Luke 15 he said I will arise and go to my father how did he know where his father was? He was where he'd always been. He hadn't moved. You say, preacher, we're going to have to lower. No, no, no. Let's stay where we are. So when the prodigal comes to himself, he'll know where to come back to. The father did not amend his stand. The father did not accuse himself. Now, in chapter number three of Genesis, when they have sinned, and God comes and walks, and the Bible said in verse number eight, they heard the voice of the Lord God, chapter three, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, 